Well, good morning. Welcome again to Park Springs Bible Church. Grateful to share uh, this Sunday morning with you. Um, as we kind of start again, just want to recap a bit of, of where we've been. Just the reality a few weeks ago of talking about how God of all creation has fashioned us and moved us to a place of understanding who we are in relationship to who he is and, and how he begins to, to change and grow us in understanding the vastness of his character and, and even really the purposefulness and intentionality of what he's done. Jared last week talked about preparation, just the, the sense in which the Lord is consistently and rarely leading us to the place of, of experiencing a deeper sense of his character and preparing us for, for more and more of, of who he is. And, and so we kind of come to the, the pinnacle, I guess, in a sense this week. We're talking about the, the incarnation. And the question that surfaces as we jump into, we'll be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you kind of want to get it on your phones or move your Bibles over there, it'd be a good way to get prepared. But the question that, that faces us is, what happened? And when I, when I ask that, I, I can't imagine how many times it's too numerous to count that I've been asked that question or asked that question of myself. So we look at the canvas of the world and even our own particular stories, and here's what we start to try and piece together. There are events and situations that have taken place in our lives that don't quite make sense. Our hearts are like Sherlock Holmes in those moments, right? They're doing our best to investigate and figure out. And, and often I think we feel like there are just pieces of the puzzle that we're missing, that if we had more information or the right information, things might be different. When you have kids who come home with test grades and it's not the grade that you expected them to get, and what's the question that you asked? What happened? And, and you sense the responsibility. College students here are looking and peering down the road in this next week for finals, and they're thinking about all the preparation that we had, they had to do in the process of those things. And, and then they, they take the test, and, and maybe they get the grade they want, and they'll ask that, well, what happened? And what they'll say is, I, I studied really hard. Or they didn't get the grade that they wanted, and they'll ask the same question, what, what happened? And often, at least has been my experience, and it was true when I was in school, is that it was the teacher's fault, right? Like, they were a terrible teacher, and they don't know how to teach, and they shouldn't even be in this business, and they didn't tell us this information. Oh, I mean, so often you ask, what happened? They're like, they never taught us, and the test was totally unfair. And, you know, again, it's those places where we're searching for answers like Sherlock Holmes, trying to understand the events around us, but it moves beyond just test grades into every avenue of life. I would say, if not to be overdoing uh, it, but I do sense that it's probably the predominant question that when all things in life are boiled down to, that's really where we find ourselves ending up on a regular basis. There's rejection in relationship. Find ourselves hurt and wounded. We ask ourselves, what happened? Was it me? Was it them? We search for love and feel like somehow in some way we have a, an idea of what love might feel like, and yet no experience that we have in this life has led us to feeling fully loved and fully accepted. And so we ask ourselves, what, what happened? What's 
What's wrong? Something doesn't seem right. Our children veer off track, make innumerable bad decisions. The question is, what, what happened? Could I have parented better? I've done something different. We find ourselves giving our hearts to numerous things. We think about working in a job and we're trying to give it our best and the the boss just continues to hammer us and hammer us that nothing that we're doing is enough and we find ourselves on probation or losing our job or we look at our pocketbook or our checkbook. We don't even have checkbooks anymore, right? I mean, credit or whatever it is and we look and we say, well, what happened? Your husband and wife laying next together in bed and never felt more further apart They ask themselves, what happened? We look at loved ones who are dealing with sickness and health. I mean, you can see how in every area of life, in in essence, we're asking that question. What happened? And I think that that's where Galatians chapter 4 leads us. And I think it really moves us, if not compels us, to ask that very question of the Incarnation. And when I say incarnation, I'll use that language a lot throughout our time together this morning. I I mean the appearance of Christ as a baby in a manger. So Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, always existed as the eternal son. It's not as though he became the son when he came to earth. That was his position in the midst of those things. And so as he entered into this world, the purposeful intention of God's work and and what he was planning for all of the world, he, he enters in through all of the the prophecy and the promises of the Old Testament walking us and and communicating to us a reality about a situation that that God had planned as a way to forgive the the world of its sin should they yet find faith and believe and trust in his perfect sacrifice. So he he comes as a a newborn baby through a virgin birth. It's the incarnation, the, the presence of the second person of the Trinity in human form as a baby. The question is what What happened? I mean, we have knowledge of the events that happened, but really the question or the issue that we face when we ask that question is we're asking, what are the implications? I mean, really what significance does this have as we understand the details and the events that transpired throughout of all of human history as God has walked through and planned and, and preordained and, and, and allowed all of these things to take place that, that salvation would be open to all those who believe. So we've got the facts. We know the historical events that took place. I mean, many of us have manger scenes in our homes, right? We talk about the shepherds watching their flock. I mean, you and I can reiterate so many of these stories. I mean, we've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, right? We know all of this stuff. And yet, when we come down to the implications, we need to ask on street level, what implications does the incarnation have? And when I'm asking that, I'm asking what implication it has for the very places that you and I live the distance in your marriage, the challenge with your kids, the fears about your future, the wonders about whether or not the job that you have is the job that God has called you to have, what place God is and the reason he's placed you on this earth, what, what fractures of relationships that you're experiencing, what wounds you've had and I've had in the context of my life, what difference 
does the events of the incarnation make at street level? That's Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let me read it for us this morning, and then what I'd like to do is just really spell out as best as I can what I really believe Paul is driving this church towards. Now, we've studied the book of Galatians here at the church, and so we're a bit aware that there are some dilemmas that have existed within this church. Shockingly, it's not a perfect church. And welcome, you're at a non-perfect church as well. So there's some issues that have been taking place, not the least of which, there are individuals in the church that feel like they would be better suited if they put restrictions or things that added things that people needed to do to be more faithful to Christ. And so, really, it's a form of legalism, but they're saying, hey, if you become a Christian and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you act like a Jew, you're more faithful then, and God is more honored by those things. And so, there's a level of confusion within the church about what it really means to allow the truth of Christ to, to work in you, and what, what part you play in the context of all of those things. And so, Paul, as he spells out all of those things, moves us back to the very significance of the incarnation. So if your heart is anything like mine and starts to search for answers like Sherlock Holmes searches for clues, Galatians chapter 4 spells out for us the significance of answering the questions about what happened, the implications of Christ's coming. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, Please feel free to follow along with me. If not, it'll be up on the screen. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Just implications. He's describing the human condition. And he's describing specifically for these individuals the challenge of the fact that they're misunderstanding the reality of their condition and position before Christ. They're lost and trying to figure out where they really stand in the midst of all of these things. And so he is aware that their hearts are are drawn to other places, feeling like they need to add things to the truth of God's grace and allow it to be more or expect that there be more that they would do so that they would then find themselves honoring God in that way. But you get in those first few verses, confusion. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, I need you to hang on to that verse and I need you to think about the significance of what it means. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So we're getting this sense that part of what 
begins to impede into the context of the confusion of the people of God about God's role and their role and really beginning to ask the question about what happened, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, draws these people back to the incarnation, draws them back to the understanding of Jesus' entrance as the eternal son into the world and starts to spell out for them the significance of really answering that question, what happened? So on a basic level, in those first three verses, here's what he says. We function based on what we know. And that's not just true with the context of the Galatians, but it's true for us. We process information, and we look at the events around us, and then we make conclusions about those events. And so often we think in life, we see things clearly. Let me tell you, we, we don't. We, we tend to be those that self-preserve and, and desire to make sure that things work out best for our own lives, at, sometimes at the expense of others. But really what it comes down to is that we, we function based on what we know. And so the issue for us then is as we think about the implications of the incarnation and Jesus's entrance into the world, what do we know? I mean, what, what significance does that have? I'd like to suggest this morning that we've sanitized the nativity scene a bit too much. We love the story of Jesus in a manger. We love the story of shepherds making their way to worship. And then these wise men come years later and provide gold and frankincense and myrrh, and there's this celebration, and, and we sing songs, right? Silent night. I doubt it was really silent. <laughs> you had a screaming baby, right? I don't imagine it's all that quiet. But there's this sense in which we look at it, and that the, the, the Bible, Galatians 4, gives us this indication in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come. That means that somehow, in some way, God's perfect plan was being realized when the perfect location at the perfect time in all of human history, planned by the God of the universe, intruding into the world so that all of these things might begin to take place, the scope of what we're looking at becomes a lot greater than a baby in a manger. If we keep Jesus as a baby in a manger, we begin to lose the significance of God's perfect pre-planned event in all of human history. Things had changed when the fullness of time had come. Now, a lot of scholars had suggested that this means that the Roman Empire had moved and created all of these roads, and so the accessibility to doing all of these things, that there was a, a level in which now, as Jesus was not only being born, but the, the world was changing and things were happening as he grew up and, and as he was crucified, the, the message of the gospel could go forth so all of the events could happen. I'm not sure about whether or not that's necessarily the case outside of the fact the Bible tells me that there was a pre-planned time that God sent his son. And, and so often when we think about this, the, the Bible tells us that often we, we function based on what we know. Advent or the incarnation compels us to function based on who knows us. There's a difference. 
They're not just operating based on what we know, but now there's a, a shift that I think Paul is giving the Galatian church that I think often as we read these verses, we can gloss over the significance of what Jesus or what God, what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying to this church is that often we would like to think that we're at the center and we can function based on our understanding of the events around us. And Advent compels us to say that it's not about functioning based on what we know. It's living in light of who knows us. You see the terminology change, right? So often they're looking at the events of life and they're saying, we, all of these things have to take place. And we're thinking about all of these things. He's talking about, like, you might be a child and you have an inheritance, but you have a, a slave and a master. And until you're old enough, you don't even understand the significance of all of those things. And so you're just operating in this world, just functioning based on what you know. And then he moves into the language of, of family. He said, when the fullness of time had come, there's something that happened said, in the same way in verse 3, when we were children, we were enslaved. That means that we had a, a master that was over us. And that master was the elementary principles of this world. So here's where he's leading the church, and I think even challenging us this morning, is that often the way that we're governed or how our hearts operate is we look at the events around us we try and do our best to figure out all of those events and, and make the best life that we can and then find ways to minimize hurt and pain, maximize our joy and life experience, and just make our way to the end. What he's saying is that that means that we're, we're mastered by simple elementary principles of the, the world. There's something so much more significant, and it's not functioning based on what we know it's actually living based on who knows us. Being known by God through faith in Christ begins to transition our perspective away from attempting to figure out this world and press in more to intimacy with what Jesus is doing. When the fullness of time had come gives us an indication that God has a plan, yes? He knows what he's doing. Does that just reserve itself to the events of the world when Jesus was born? I mean, that's the question, right? Does God know what he's doing? Does God know what he's doing? Yes, we can all, I'll answer for you just in case you feel like you're a little tired this morning. Does God have a plan? Is it your goal to have to figure out all of the events for that plan to be accomplished? No. God is working and operating in all of the nuances and nooks and crannies of your life. And in the process of those things, what's the goal? That you would know what's happening or that you would know the one who's in charge of what's happening? Two different things, right? It's not as though God needs to explain himself to us. God has given us himself and in the process of experiencing intimacy with him, what our confession as those who have faith in Christ is, is that Christ is enough. It's not as though I need to live a life of having everything explained to me in an inexplicable world. You will live, and I will live, and we do live in a life and in a world where there are so many things that don't make sense. 
There are so many events that transpire, one, because of the brokenness of the world, two, because of our own sinful decisions, three, because of the sinful decisions of others. All of those things, there are innumerable things that exist in life that just don't make sense. And yet our heart, like Sherlock Holmes, is searching for answers and evidence to make sense of the world around us. The goal is to not make sense of the world around us, but to draw close to the God who is in charge of the world. Right? It's not about functioning based on what I know, but it's living based on who knows us. The incarnation is about God making is not. The incarnation is not about God making a way. That might seem strange to you because I think often we have that language and I want to explain that. Because often I think we find ourselves in a place where we think about, well, I'm in a situation and God will make a way. It's really difficult. It's my Red Sea moment. I'm, I got an army behind me and I got a, a, an ocean before me. And I, I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. I've lived this way in my life for decades now. I'm stuck. I'm crippled. I'm just left to figuring out that there's no other options. And I don't know what to do. I've prayed, God, would you, you make a way, but these relationships continue to fall apart. My life continues to get harder. I see all of these decisions, and, and in the process of those things, I think, well, I'm, I'm in this because it's all my fault, and somehow, in some way, I just hope that God will make a way. The answer is not that God will make a way, but that God is the way. That ultimately what the movement towards is, is not just thinking that somehow I can preserve the life that I want and experience the things around me so that I, I get the outcome that I desire and that God will make a way from point A to point B. I'm stuck now. This is where I want to be. Open the way so I can get to where I want. <laughs> That's not how it works. That's functioning based on what we know. Functioning based on who knows us moves us to a place of a uh, an understanding and an experience that the way is Jesus, that the goal is further intimacy with him, that the design of God as he is pre-planned since the fullness of time had come and Jesus entered into this world, the purpose was to draw sin-sick sinners to himself. And then not only that, that their condition would be one in which they would find themselves now freed from the shackles of sin and forgiven and declared righteous before God. But now he moves us to an understanding of position. What is our status, our legal status before the God of the universe, the only real righteous judge, the only one that's fair and just, the only one that understands all of the implications of all of human history because he's written it. What is our position before him? Galatians tells us that the incarnation was not about God making a way. It was about declaring to the world that he is the way. And here's the significance. God is not adjusting to earthly events to make himself known. That's what I mean by making a way, that somehow God's like, okay, I see you've really screwed up this time, and so let me see if I can figure this out for you. That, that's not how God works. It's not adjusting to earthly events to somehow make himself known. Earthly events exist to draw us to one essential truth. All of the things around us, all of the challenges we face, all of the wounding that we've experienced, all of the pain that we've experienced now and will experience until Jesus calls us home, leads us to this one thing. Ready? 
on the edge of your seat, right? He's the only thing worth knowing. He's the only thing worth knowing. Now, what I mean by that is that it's not that as though the events around us don't matter. I'm not minimizing the significance of what we're walking through or have walked through or will walk through. What I'm saying is that all of those events are going to find their end, their hope, their strength, the significance of being able to make it the next day in the reality and the experience of knowing Him. So you ask, it's a solution to the challenges I face in my marriage. And I'll tell you what the Bible says. Know Jesus. Press deeply into a relationship with him. Stop suggesting that the only reason your marriage is in the struggle that it's in is because the other person needs to change. Good luck with that. It just doesn't work that way. The point is that those events that are transpiring are moving us to a place of surrender and asking and seeking that the Lord would be that place and that significance and that sufficiency for us, that we'd be drawn to him. That as we know more of Jesus, we're able to see more clearly the world around us, and then the understanding of our purpose and significance of stepping into that mess is amplified with the significance of the fact that Jesus has called us into that place. You have the kids you have because that's been ordained by God. You are the perfect parents for those children. That in some way, the Lord has fashioned you to be the one that speaks into that situation and pray for those ones that you love. The the friends that you have in your life have been given to you by God, even the hard ones. (laughs) Even the difficult people that you work with or the obstinate neighbor or the difficult boss, there is a reality that in knowing Jesus, and the more I press into knowing Jesus, the more I understand the role in which he's called me to serve in that moment. As I experience the love of Christ, I'm able to dispense that love to others. If I see myself more clearly... I'm able to do that because I know that I'm known by God. It's not about God making a way. It's about Christ being the way. So God is not just adjusting. He's not adjusting to earthly events to make himself known. Earthly events draw us to one essential truth. He's the only one worth knowing. So now we go to that question about position. We have a condition. We've been saved, forgiven for all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ You stand righteous before God because you've been given the righteousness of Christ and he's taken on your sin. But that's not where we leave it. Now, the book of Galatians, Paul moves this church to an understanding of their position, their legal position before God. And here's what I'd like to suggest that he says. We are defined by the one who cares for us. Remember, he already said that we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when we move to allowing Christ to be the source and knowing him and experiencing him as the way, there's a change in masters. Here's what he says. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law. For what purpose? What happened? 
to redeem those who were under the law so that you might receive what? Adoption. You might receive adoption as sons. So this isn't a gender-specific term. This is a term in terms of inheritance. Again, that time, the significance is that the inheritance of all that the father owned was given to the sons. And so what he's saying is that all of those who possess faith in Jesus Christ experience that sonship. They now are no longer those that have experienced enslavement from an earthly master. They now experience an inheritance from a heavenly father. That's significant because we live in a world where we're driven by taskmasters who tell us what we should do. And we at often times are even enslaved to our own emotions and trying to figure out like Sherlock Holmes, the events in our life and trying to piece all of these things together. When in reality, there's this level of surrender before the God of the universe and what needs to reverberate and resonate in our hearts is that I'm adopted. I'm I'm now, through faith in Christ, positionally, one who serves as an heir of the God of the universe. Because of faith in Christ, all that is Jesus is now mine. You got to be kidding me, right? Like seriously, the significance of what that means in terms of propelling us to experience the joy of the incarnation means that everything that's happening in our life is leading me to live a life of praise before the God who has adopted me as his kid. I'm his. He is. That means I don't need to be anyone else's. That means my own struggles and my tendency to struggle with approval and desiring value from others begins to be diminished because of the infinite, supremely amount of value that has been given to me by the God of the universe. I'm supremely valuable because I'm adopted as his son. I share in the inheritance Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your heart. So there's a, a living, the Holy Spirit lives and takes up residence inside of us for the purpose of what? That you and I, Romans 8 all over again, we can cry, Abba, Father. Well, what does this really mean? What this means is that we are entrusting the care of our lives to God. And we are not left trying to figure out how to care for ourselves. We are defined by who cares for us. And if we look at the scriptures and we look at the significance of the incarnation and the reality of Christ's birth and entrance into the world, we are growing and our our vision of God is expanding of how significant we are in relationship to the work that God has done. And so I don't need to know or explain all the events around me. I need to know the one who knows. I need to know the one who knows. So then when I think about effort and desire and what I put my life towards, what is it? Knowing him. Knowing him. And allowing him to fully know me. I don't hold things back, but I surrender my life to the reality of what Christ has done on my behalf. This has become more and more significant to me as I've been able to walk a little bit through uh, the journey with my sister. So as many of you know, my sister is kind of in the process of caring for a, a little foster son. His name's Josh, and he's a great little boy. He's, 
you know, his first year of life, he had five major surgeries where they were opening up his lungs. He has a, a trach and just all of these different things where, where my, my sisters had to go through a significant amount of challenge and struggle and fear and concerns about what the future might hold as she's, she's held this foster son who in, in her mind is, is her son, right? Mentally, physically, emotionally, like she's, she's there. It's just legally it hasn't happened yet for numerous reasons that I can't go into. But in those moments, you'd ask her, you know, you think about loving Josh and caring for him and thinking about all that you have been through. Do you ever wonder if it was worth it? Would you have ever changed your mind? <laughs> and of course, she would say, no. Every sleepless night in the hospital, every concern where they were watching her foster son be, have, a, have a, a drip into his body that's a paralytic so he can't move because they're breathing for him. Every, every faithful prayer that she's prayed for his provision has been answered by a God who loves her and is changing her in the process. She would never rewrite the story because of the value that has been placed by her on Josh just an earthly story. And we're praying for one day where she'll have a gotcha day. <laughs> the day where fully and legally she will be his mom. And on that gotcha day, all of the legal implications will come to an end, meaning that she will be his son. He, uh, he will be her son. That's right. She will be his mom. And in the process of those things, all that's hers will be his. Have you ever thought about your gotcha day? That's what Galatians is talking about. All of the pain, all of the severity, all of the challenges, the crucifixion of the second person of the Trinity, God, the eternal Son himself, hanging on the cross, even in preparation, all of the scourging and the betrayal, the emotional hurt, the mental fatigue, the physical pain, all of those things that Christ endured never in five billion years take back a regret because you have value. You have a gotcha day. And you receive all the benefits of sonship. That comes through faith in Christ. That comes to the reality that the purpose of Christ's coming was and always is adoption. So you've been forgiven of your sin, but now, because of the understanding of who you are positionally before God, you've been accepted. Ephesians tells us, right, that you've been accepted into the beloved. <laughs> you are now part of the family adopted as sons and heirs. When we think about the significance of the incarnation, the reality that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. You imagine, just for the moment, when we think about all of the areas that our life places significance in, and I struggle with this all the time, right? Significance is making sure that my kids are able to 
follow their dreams and achieve whatever they want to achieve and, and you know, prayerfully seeing that they, they do well and get accepted into college. I mean, we're at that stage and you're like, I want the best for them. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I have to continually and regularly come to the conclusion that the best for them is the same thing that's best for you. It's him. It's him and it's him. Like, everything else is about what God is calling us to to bring glory to Him as we value that relationship above all things. You have, I pray, a gotcha day. That day where you've chosen to recognize your sin and you've recognized the fullness and sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross and you've said, yes, I am a sinner that cannot fix myself. I need you, and I need what you've done for me. I give my life to you. And in the context of those things, I no longer am a master with the elementary principles of the world that have lordship over me, that are demanding and, and requiring life of me on a daily basis. I've given myself away from the enslavement to the elementary principles of the world and moved myself to the generous, kind, loving relationship of a father. Will you pray with me?